<laughs> Everything all right? Yeah, I just saw this. I, I didn't realize that I haven't listened to Chris Pratt doing Mario. Oh, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> apparently he does it with he, he does it in Chris Pratt voice. He doesn't do it in like he doesn't even try to do a Mario voice. It's pretty bad. <laughs> all right. I, I mean, I guess it would be racist, a little racist to do a Mario voice, but like maybe get an Italian to do it instead of Chris fucking Pratt. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously answer that. So <laughs> oh good, perfect. Cold open. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I need a little, little bit of blank air and then I'll start. Welcome back to another episode of Sounder Heart. I am your host, Mark Kastner. I am uh, joined by, uh, obviously, Jeremiah O'Shan and Ian from American Soccer Analysis Analytics. What, what's the whole What's the whole name? ASA. Americans, yeah, yeah, ASA is fine. American Soccer Analysis. The, Analysis. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, this the website for nerds, right? Yeah, that's what we pride ourselves nerds. on. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's plenty of other types of nerds that yeah uh, are out there. Um, we are uh, recording an episode after the Sounders have uh, been eliminated from the MLS Cup playoffs. And I just want to know how you both feel about that. Uh, do you feel like this day was obviously going to come at one point? Uh, the streak, we'll get into We'll get into all of that. But uh, how, like, do you feel better or worse than you thought you would feel when you thought about this moment for a long time? I feel a little better than I thought I would feel like I'm a little more um, like I, I, from a purely selfish perspective, like I'm seeing my calendar fill up with responsibilities around the world cup. And I'm like, Oh, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world that I don't have the sounders <laughs> hanging over right. my, hanging over my shoulder every day. So like, there's a, there's a, a part of me that's a little like the professional part of me is a little relieved uh the fan part of me is is like i'm bummed it's it's really weird like it's it was it was i went out to training today and it was a little strange to realize like this game doesn't matter wow at all at all like at all for anybody (laughs) for no one uh i mean it it might matter for a few people We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit but ian uh on sunday afternoon when uh, you saw the clock hit, I think it was 93 or whatever yeah. uh, against Sporting Kansas City. And it was like final. Did you yeah. feel anything in that moment? Uh, honestly, it, as soon as I got to score that goal after that whole sequence, I was just like, yeah, that's done. I just didn't see a way. Like, I, I think I, I've been mentally preparing myself for this for several weeks now. And I, I think that, you know, the the worst part has just been knowing that there were so many things that could have changed it, like one or two results, you know, that were so close, just could have flipped it. We'd be in a totally having a totally different conversation right now, but um, on the whole, you know, having that CCL one in your pocket makes it all better. Like a lot of it, like, you know, you can't get bantered too hard by anybody for missing the playoffs when, you know, you you won the CONCACAF champions league. And so if there was a year, you're going to do it. Like the streak was going to end someday, probably. And um, at least you've got that to kind of fall back on. And uh, well, I don't think one excuses the other or, or, or even that, that it's necessarily like a trade that they made, you know, knowingly. It, it's just 
there's it's good to have something you can kind of latch onto at the season. Like if that hadn't happened, I'd probably be a lot more upset. Yeah, and I think I think we'll spend months, maybe even years, talking about the kind of the that dichotomy of you know it's yeah. maybe the most MLS thing ever to happen that the team that finally does the unthinkable, the unachievable, uh, does something as silly as missing the playoffs, especially when it's the Sounders because they've made the playoffs for I don't know since like like. JFK was president or something. It's been a yeah. long time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that you randomly picked a president that wasn't, uh, that was dead before the Sounders had been dead for 10 years before the Sounders even were founded, but do, do go on. JFK's dead. Well, it depends on who you believe. Yeah. Jesus, a- man. Whole different podcast right there. Yeah. Uh, wow. That talk about derailing my whole agenda. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess we, I, I think we need to do justice to uh, to the SKC game and then the San Jose game coming up because uh, hopefully this is a position uh, we don't get used to being in, talking about effectively meaningless games because basically every single game the Sounders have ever played has had some sort of meaning I, towards I the playoffs. Literally, I think <laughs> yeah, literally yeah. every single game. Yeah, it's either uh, a CCL knockout game uh, a U.S. Open Cup game, or a reg- an MLS Cup game, an MLS Cup playoff game, or a regular season game that affects standings in the playoffs or towards the right. supporter shield. And uh, while the SKC game was kind of the nail in the coffin, and I think I think we'll spend a little bit of time talking about that. The San Jose game coming up is a little bit interesting because uh, it literally doesn't mean anything. But but first, we'll talk about the the Sporting Kansas City game. And um, I think I just kind of want to start with how strange it was that for weeks we had been kind of talking about the sound, how the Sounders would respond when their backs were truly up against the wall. And, you know, we, we've had all these conversations about like, was this a must win game? Is this a must win game? This one truly was a must win game. And it's the flattest they've ever looked basically since this summer when they got into this position, right, Jeremiah? Yeah, I, I think that was what struck me maybe the most was, you know, th- they had a few chances to score. You know, Roldan had a great look in the first half. Montero had a really good look in the second half, had a couple good looks in the second half. He had a penalty shout. There were some good looks, but over the last 15 minutes, the Sounders had one shot, and they didn't look really dangerous. They they didn't look like a team that was just leaving it out on, on the field. And I don't I don't mean to say that they weren't trying, but it just didn't like you look at the way the Cincinnati game ended and everyone was just like wiped out. Like they had put it all out there. And it was almost as if that carry like they really did put it all out there. And that was they just <laughs> emptied the tank. And that was all they had left. Cause I was just blown away at how not like a team, not like a desperate team they looked against Sporting Kansas City. And, you know, it was a 1-0 loss, and Sporting Kansas City was clearly up for it. You know, I don't don't think there's any question about that. But, yeah, it just struck me as really unrepresentative of what this team has been for a long time. And if I, you know, I I don't know if I would say I was, like, deeply disappointed by the players or anything, but if I was Brian Schmetzer or if I was Steph Fry, who actually had a really good game, 
man, I would be, I would have been pissed. And we'll talk, we'll talk about Fry and maybe somebody else being pissed in a little bit, but Ian, uh, the lineups were, and I think it's important that Jeremiah brings up the uh, FC Cincinnati game, because when we talked about that last week, that the lineup against Kansas city that got that draw, I think a draw for the circumstances that the Sounders were in was pretty remarkable given uh, upwards of like 10 players were missing. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it was fully seven players were missing for that game, but they made all these changes, you know, uh, Ladero comes back in. Probably Rui Diaz wasn't fit enough. Roldan Morris, the, the two center backs, Ariaga knew who comes back from international duty. Alex Roldan comes back from national duty. All the, all these guys that like literally five months ago played in a champions league final. You think these were going to be the players that could like do something. And it turns out they put in a performance worse than the kids did the previous five, the five days, six days beforehand. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that too is just, a home game, I think, versus an away game. The way yeah. MLS, that sort of, um, it's more pronounced in this league than, than anywhere else. And, <laughs> um, you know, SKC has always been a tough, like that fixture has always been tough to go away and, and, and get results there. And um, I don't know why, but like my memory is just some of like the flattest I've ever seen the Seattle Sounders play have been games at Kansas City. Um, I think that was Siggy's last game in charge, wasn't it? Yeah, it was back in the day. Like, you know, like those were just dire performances I've seen there. So I I was not super optimistic about this going into it. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, there's just those guys, like you obviously had to play them. Um, You know, you had to put your best guys out there that you could give yourself the best possible chance. But I, I think a lot of these players are just, they're out of gas. And I think it's just kind of what happens. And I, I don't think it's, it's necessarily like because of the CCL though, that doesn't help. It just was like, this was just a very Seattle Sounders of late performance. Like I, I wasn't really particularly surprised by anything. Uh, you know, I'll add, I think that there were a few performances in particular that, Bum, like we're a bit of a bummer like i i really was looking forward to see morris play as a nine and he he was just invisible and i think if there's one decision that brian would probably take back it might be deciding to to roll him out at a position he hasn't played you know in a really long time and you know i, I don't know that you know will or freddie would have necessarily been the difference maker in that one but i mean freddie looked like he was up for the game i would you know i don't i, I can't, hard for me to imagine it, it going much worse than it than it did uh and it was it was interesting that i think it's partly there is something to be said about it, a road versus home game but i think one of the things that was frustrating down the stretch is that how many flat performances they got from their they're not ideal 11, but something like a reasonable approximation of their ideal 11. And it just never like it, it, it just didn't click. Like it, it really didn't. And I, I think I, what was frustrating for me is I had kind of talked myself into the idea that it, it would, man, especially after the Austin win, mm-hmm. I was, I was almost like, Oh, they'll, they'll, they'll make the playoffs. I'm not, I don't even know if I was like, I, 
I really thought if they if they won that game, that the playoffs were like the most likely outcome. And I think like we even talked about on the show, I think it was uh, you, Tim, Susie, and I, we basically just broke down the remaining games before the Austin game. Yeah. And we all said that if they won that game, that being the toughest game remaining, and I still think it was, uh, they would probably make the playoffs. And at that point, we were looking at 50, 51 points as like a, a real possibility. <laughs> and and you, Jeremiah, you were the one that kind of like tempered expectations. And, and you said like, well, 46 will get them in. Right. And it would, it would have gotten, I in. think it would have. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah. No, they had, I mean, Portland's they on 46 right now and they're probably going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, if they had, if they had won that game last week, they would have been in position, not, they wouldn't have been guaranteed to make the playoffs, but one, they really only had to worry about one or two games out el- elsewhere. And, and like, I don't, I wouldn't put it past. I do. I will say this. I do love that the, that the MLS season is going to end with, two games between four teams that uh, control their own destiny. So like, yeah, if (laughs) like the winner of Portland RSL will go to the playoffs, the winner of Minnesota, Vancouver will go to the playoffs. Like that's perfect. Like I, that's, I got, I'm not saying I I would rather that than the Sounders have a chance, but like it is, (laughs) there is like a a beautiful synergy to that. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, Ian, did you want to say anything about that? I mean, no, I agree. Like uh, if you weren't a Seattle Sounders fan, like this is, one of the more exciting like last days of the season I think we've had in a while um much drama on that but yeah it, it is funny to go back and just kind of look at that and say I was with you like the Austin like looked like the toughest game you know a lot of us at ASA have gotten a lot of flack from Austin fans because we've been kind of pointing at their underlying numbers and going like well we don't know how real this is like these guys are going to come back down to earth and you know they certainly did for for that 90 minutes and um yeah <laughs> It was just stunning like, to get that one out of the way and then kind of just go, but then Vancouver, you know, like, and just stuff like yeah. that. The ones you would have just kind of pointed out and gone like, hey, this one will be fine. This will be fine. And and they just weren't. They And they beat the brakes off of, uh, uh, I almost said Atlanta, but green Atlanta, Austin. Uh. <laughs> Man, even Atlanta, that game, like that was so close to being a point. Like, yeah. There's just so many like, oh my oh, gosh. gosh. Yeah. It's, you know, I, our our friend Matt Montgomery over at RSL Soapbox created this pretty amazing tool that he he modeled off something that I think is like is it Elliot McKinney McKinley of ASA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he sort of <laughs> took what he had built and he kind of refined it and he created this visual that shows the percentage of the season that each team spent in uh, various game states, home or uh, losing, tied, and winning. And the Sounders were top 10 in both time spent winning and least amount of time spent losing. And they're going to, and it just speaks to like how many late collapses they had this year. Yeah. And that's and think- such a thing that you're like, when you think about Seattle Sounders, like, and maybe this is just a Seattle Sounders fans take on it, but like, you know, that mental strength, that sort of like mm-hmm. that resilience, like, you know, we would consider that a hallmark of this team. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. that's a Brian Schmetzer club. Like they're going to give you 90 full minutes, no matter what. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like that's the one thing you don't expect to happen. And like it happened over and over and over again. Yeah. And it, and like before this season, they had never, they had never lost from winning winning from two or more goals and it's happened two or three times this season right jeremiah twice yeah twice yeah, twice 
Uh, and that's like a lot of games, a lot of games. Um, and it just kind of seems like since, since this summer, all of those kind of like hallmarks, like Ian was talking about, just got chipped away at, chipped away at, chipped away at until now they have 17 losses and they're not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> um, yeah, they also have a chance to become the first team in MLS history to miss the playoffs with a positive or not miss the playoffs to finish below 500 with a positive goal difference. That's cool. I mean, I hey, hope they, I hope they do that. You know, <laughs> Seattle Sounders blaze a new ground, even in defeat. I love it. Exactly. We'll, uh, we'll hang a banner for that. Get a yeah. banner for that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think a few minutes ago, Jeremiah, uh, you touched on something interesting and it, it was indicative of the sporting Kansas city game this last weekend, but maybe, maybe it was kind of indicative of the whole season. Uh, the, the veterans just not stepping up and being good enough when we needed them to. And if you kind of look at the sporting Kansas city goal and look at where, that started and where it ended up you have Yamar giving away uh, an unbelievably bad pass. And then that just kind of like at a moment when the Sounders were kind of putting together possession and, and, you know, maybe trying to get something out of that game and Yamar just, I don't want to say what I want to say because I think it's a little mean and I don't think they need to, I need to be mean right now, but it's just, you know, you have, Yamar not stepping up. You have Fry standing on his head back there. And, I, and you know, Fry's come on under scrutiny this year, kind of giving up more out-of-the-box goals than ever before. And it just kind of feels like you put water in one cup and it empties out another one, right? <laughs> I think, and this might just be recency bias, but definitely, like, the n- amount of just – Unforced errors from the defense seemed extreme this year. Just like, you know, Yamar has just been kind of, um, he was so solid last year. He was so dependable. Like, you know, he didn't really do this sort of thing and he was, he was good with the ball at his feet. And I looked at that play for something I had to write for ASA this week. And like I stared at like the, 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 the overhead tactical view of like what he was seeing. And it was just like, why did you pick that pass? Like there were so many like other choices you could have gone with. And it's just like, I I can't believe these uncharacteristic mental errors. This is just not what you expect from a Seattle Sounders team. Yeah. What was he like? The thing that it is the craziest thing about that play is like, what even does he see there? It's just like, I I don't know. I, I guess one of the frustrations was also with, I had originally, I'll, I'll raise my hand. I originally thought, that Fry had cleared that ball because I like put my head down second uh, for a second and I, I just saw the ball flying forward. I didn't realize that he had like tapped it over to Yamar at first, but apparently he had Alex Roldan streaking down the yeah the right side and just sort of like looked him off and, and tapped it over to. Yeah, to you you Yamar can't actually him. you can't actually see Roldan on the broadcast. Uh, I, I was able to look at like a, like a, a special overhead view that we have at ASA and it was it was like of all the options, like that was so clearly the obvious, like the man was wide open, was in space. And I, I don't know why he just was like, no, nah, I'm going to play it a really complicated pass, like right there in the middle of the park. Like, even if you <laughs> miss to roll Dan, it's probably going right. out of bounds. Like it's a lot less dangerous over there on that wing than it's going to be coming right back down your throat. Um, and because roll Dan was streaking, he couldn't get back for that play. Right. And that was one of the other things. I it just, yeah, I, I, and I, it's, it's, 
there are a lot of moments in every season you can kind of look at. And if you stare at it long enough and you have the benefit of hindsight, you know, you can, you can say exactly what should have happened, but I just, I even trying to put myself like in his shoes in that moment, I just, I have no idea what was going on there. And it just felt like this season had a lot of, they, they gave up a lot of goals this year that just felt like they were mental lapses or they were just, very obvious, obvious mistakes that you're not used to this team making. And it wasn't that they gave up so many goals. I mean, I, they, they gave up, they're, they're going to rank, you know, I think in the, in the better half of the table in terms of goals allowed, they might even be in the top third in terms of goals allowed, but they just, so many of them were soft goals that they didn't have to get. Like, I don't remember that. I very rarely remember them being broken down. It wasn't like they were giving up a bunch of set piece goals either. You know, the, these were just goals where, you know, you know, you look at the Cincinnati game and why are you allowed? Why are you, why is that? Why are you even playing that guy on side? Like, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah. I, I mean, I would say aside from the two Vancouver goals, which were very well worked team goals that ended up with shots that were maybe you would expect to save or a block there. I mean, but even then like Vancouver completes, 18 20 passes on each goal and it's just like foul somebody like do something (laughs) (laughs) yeah like the the frustrating thing about i'm I'm thinking of like the first vancouver goal we're maybe getting the weeds but i yeah like there was just so many like missed tackles like they they just there was clearly a bunch of opportunities to break up the play that they they failed to make and on some level you have to sort of just tip your hat like those are good offensive players to to not have them broken up but it so maybe that's an example of the opposite thing. And if that was happening all year round, you'd just be like, okay, our defense is horrible. But uh, it was, and I, I, one of the other things I think that's frustrating for me looking back on the season is, is I actually, I know there's a lot of attention being paid, paid to the, to Joe Paolo's depart or injury. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's fair. Like he clearly raises the level but I don't think Leva and Atencio were bad, for instance. No. I, I actually think there was we learned a lot of positive things about both of them, and they in certainly in moments showed a lot of promise. Uh and even if they they weren't they weren't perfect players, they don't do everything that JP does, but they they both I think are players who I'm excited to see more of uh next year. Yeah, I mean the main thing like, you're right, like obviously losing Chapala is just you know you lose arguably your best player um i don't think it's much of an argument but but like that does like any any mls team is going to find that hard to deal with just because of the uh, the way that the teams are built um but that that one thing shouldn't have done it and yep exactly it was like there were so many that one thing shouldn't have done it it's about seattle season but because they all (laughs) happened at the same time or over the course of the same year like they all kind of did it it was like a, like a plane crash where they say it was like a cascading series of failures where like one small thing, like tipped the next domino over, which tipped the next one over. And it just like, that's what kind of felt like I was watching this whole season was just like, that was the first maybe domino that fell. And we didn't really know how that was going to all like end up at the end of it, but it was just because of that other things happened because of that, like other players were, were put in like different positions and that took time. And, um, yeah, it was just like a, a perfect storm of just like some bad luck and bad play. And like any one of those things would have been fine on their own, but because they all happened together, this was the result. Yeah. And now I mean, another, 
and I'll say like another one of those things that's frustrating is the Raul Ruiz Diaz, like how big of an impact his loss had. And that's, that's, you know, it's notable. Like they're there. It's undeniable that they were a better team when he played. Uh, and you can look at it in any number of ways. And yet I have a hard time blaming. Like, I, I don't know that you can assume you're just going to get better production out of the replace like whoever you're gonna re- let's just say you replace Montero and Ruin like seven goals and and three assists from your backup forwards it's not the it's not like the worst yeah you uh, just don't want to have to use your backup forwards when right you, you don't have a guy like Ruiz. as far as like that's the three problem. person depth chart for Ford goes like that's not a bad one like that's even the that's back- sort of yeah exactly <laughs> like, that's sort of been my contention all along is that it's like it's not that the backups are bad it's that you need more minutes out of your start i mean he only played 1300 minutes yeah. that's the that's the fewest minutes he's played since he came over at mid-season in two, in 2018 yeah and then going away on international duty like why that happens and then he gets right there like just like Yes, that's a difference. Like, it, that's just another one of those things that like on its own is fine. But because it's part of everything else, it's it's just it, it all leads to this this kind of disaster at the end of the year. Yeah. And I think. I mean, it, it puts it's an interesting question and probably one we'll dig into in coming weeks. But it's just like. What are you what are you supposed to do with that? And, and it's kind of like what Ian said. It's like, if Raul Rui Diaz is injured, that's one thing to deal with. That's on top of Chao Paulo being out for the entire season. On top of, th- you know, this, that, the other thing, the other thing, the other thing. And, and then you just end up where we uh, we are. Um, you know, I, I will add, add this, uh, and, I, and I might actually have to balance, but one thing maybe you guys can discuss uh, is Garth, gave a pretty Garth Lagerway, the center's GM, you may uh, know, uh, gave a, a, a rather like a, a blunt interview uh, this week to Sounders Weekly, which is, you know, usually like a cheerleading show for uh, which understandably. Right. But, you know, he, I got the distinct sense that he sees this as an opportunity to change some things that there was a understandable organizational reluctance to change because why would we fix something that's working so well and i think one of those things might be an over-reliance on veterans in general and it'll be i'm actually really fascinated to see what how this offseason goes because last offseason was about as boring as it could be they did make one big signing but they were very open about like wanting to keep the roster together and even though the roster on paper feels very locked in because you've had a lot almost all your big money is in guaranteed contracts I have a feeling this could be a pretty, like there could be some big pieces moved. Uh, and at the very least, the Thunder's going to be trying to move some big pieces. Yeah. And I think that kind of dovetails really perfectly into a conversation that I've been wanting to have on this show is uh, Nicholas Ladero, who uh, rocks and has done so many great things and uh, is maybe. Mr. Sounder, or I don't, I don't know how, I don't know what you want to say, but everything he's done for this club is incredible. Two MLS cups, captaining the team, leading the team to CCL glory, being one of the best playmakers the league has ever seen, you know, just being incredible, right? He wasn't incredible 
this year. And frankly, also wasn't incredible last season because he missed basically the entire season due to some weird injury stuff. And after the Sporting Kansas City game, he comes out and says, and this is obviously through a translator because his primary language is Spanish. I want to throw out every caveat possible because I want to be as fair as possible. Uh, he says, uh, when asked kind of what went wrong this season, he says there are many mistakes that happen at the player level, the coach level, and the club level. The CCL covered up many of these mistakes, but what happens will hopefully help us recover from these things. And Ian, I just like, after the club gets eliminated for the very first time from the playoffs, hearing your captain say that immediately following doesn't feel good, right? Yeah, it's weird because I'm kind of in two minds on it. Like on the one hand, I think he's probably right. I think a lot of what he said is yeah. is, is true. Like there's nothing in that <laughs> that I would disagree with. Uh, on the other hand, it's, I kind of wish he hadn't said it. Um you know, we kind of discussed this a little bit the other day, me and Mark, and we, you know, it is a weird thing for a, a player like a captain in his position to not kind of like first hold his hand up and say like, I wasn't good enough this year. You know, like I, I could have done more. Um, and maybe that would have made this, the quote a little bit softer, but uh, yeah, it was, it was surprisingly uh, blunt. And it's like he, I, I've never really heard a player um just kind of come out and like say like the coaches were a problem to say that like there was organizational issues like that. Like usually they, they kind of keep their jurisdiction, which is like on the field stuff. So um, yeah, some of the, I, I'm in two minds about it. Like, like, like I said, like, I, I think he's probably right. I think there probably were failings up and down the ladder here. Um, but, but yeah, it was a really, really odd thing to say. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's right. Because yeah. we're talking about the Sounders not <laughs> making the playoffs, which right. is like a thing half of the teams in MLS do. And we're talking about point, a point total here, 46, 47, 47 points gets you into the playoffs this season. That is not a lot of points. And it's something that the Sounders should be doing. So obviously he's right. You want to you want to hear an interesting uh, point stat here. Like the Sounders currently have one more point than they did for the COVID shortened season. Just one more. And how many less games is that? <laughs> they played 22 that year and they're going to play 34 this year. So that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just to put it in perspective. Yeah. Se- like 17 losses is half of the games they're going to play this season. And they it's, may end up with 18 losses, depending on what happens against San Jose. But that's just, that's more than like, I, I think you could, I'm, and I'm just kind of going off the cuff here, but you can combine several of the two seasons like just pick any two seasons from the Sounders MLS history. And a lot of them wouldn't add up to 17, right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. And, and so that's not fun, but it's not fun. I think, uh, I think we're at an interesting crossroads and I don't, I don't really want to like kind of delve in too much to like what's going to happen because we still have another game this season. It's going to be a long off season. There's a world cup in the winter. Nobody knows what that's going to do for anything, mm-hmm. especially the transfer market. Yeah. yeah but yeah. Um, I do just kind of want to hone in like, and, and, and you might have some numbers in front of you to allude to this. Like why, why wasn't Nico as good? Does it, ha- does it have to do with age injury? No Jao Paulo. They're all of above. <laughs> yeah. It's again, the same I mean, not to keep Harvard on the same point, but it's, it's all of those things. I mean, I think you're looking with Ladero, you know, this is probably my favorite sounder of all time. Like, and I think he's 
you know, one of the first faces on the Sounders Mount Rushmore. And you know, I, I want to be very clear about that, that, that I have nothing but, but love and admiration in my heart for, for Nicholas Ladero. But you are approaching a point in his career where he's not going to get better. He's um, 34 years old. Yeah, like he, it's 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 not going to get better from here. And, um, you know, maybe he keeps it healthy and that helps. Uh, you know, I know he's played through injuries a lot over the last few years, too. And I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he was playing through something this year, too. And, um, you know, the Sounders are very. I want to say like he the Sanders played a lot from the wings this year in a way that they've always done this to some extent, but like um, something I thought I looked up the other day, like they were the second lowest team or tied for second lowest in like possession through the middle of the field. Like that's really crazy. And the group of teams around them, are not good soccer teams. Um, they're not teams that you really want to be next to in just about any standings. Um, you know, and I, I look at like, uh, I pulled like the raw numbers here for this and uh, they crossed the ball. This is through the last week of games, 506 times, uh, which is the most in the league. Like they did more crosses than any other team in the league. Uh, New England had 495 uh, and then RSL had 456. So like between one and three is almost like 50 extra crosses over the course of the season. Um, and then we look at XA at ASA, which is just saying like, what was like the XG value of the chances that those created? And they were the like sixth lowest in the league. So it was just a lot of wasted possession. And I know Ladero, I think, I don't know if this was tactics or, or his decision. I, I don't know if you even can tell Nico Ladero where to stand or where to go, but I felt like more, I saw him delivering those wide balls more than I saw him playing these kind of dangerous through balls into central areas than I have in the past. And I think that that, kind of like really blunted his numbers and kind of nerfed him as a player a little bit. Now I don't, again, that could have been his idea. That could have been his, what he wanted to do. And, and, and if so, okay. Uh, but, but I don't know if that was a tactical direction or where that came from, but, but I think that was one of the reasons too, is he was just kind of utilized a little bit differently. Yeah. The hand, the handful of times uh, either in kind of training press scrums, post-game press conferences and whatnot that brian spencer was asked about kind of the amount of crossing that has happened yeah. brian always said that wasn't the plan so yeah I don't, I don't know if he's just kind of like just getting out in front of that and just being like hey <laughs> right. whatever or if like you know there there's like even deeper meaning to ladero's quotes there where like ladero has one idea of how the team should play and the coach yeah. has a different idea but that's like fan fiction at that point. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't Fair really. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole off season to get into that stuff, but um, just kind of like on the face, do you want to see Ladero back next year? Or are you kind of at the point where you're okay with maybe, uh, maybe yeah. not seeing him? You know, it's the, it's the heart in the head, right? Like um, the heart wants Ladero to come back and, you know, have a career renaissance and, and boss the league again. And we can, we can watch him strut his stuff one last time on route to a trouble and he can wave goodbye to the fans in the victory parade and it'll be beautiful. Uh, but if you're being pragmatic about it, you want to, you want to get, you want to, you want to move on from the player the year before you should have, you know, before it's obvious. Right. Yeah. And, 
Senators have made this tough decision before. Like they made that decision with with Ozzy Alonso, who was a big part of that. They made that decision with Brad Evans, who was a really big part of that team. Gustav uh, Svensson, even Svensson, like players that like you were going like oh, I think they've got more. Um, oh, but Femi I, Martins. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know that moving Ladero is a realistic option. I don't know what the market for him looks like. I don't know what the Senators would accept. I don't know what stipulations he has on his contracts uh, that would make such a thing even possible. If at this point, Garth Lagerway called me up on the phone and said, Ian, it's up to you. I'd say, yeah, it's time to look for something maybe a little bit different. We got to look. This is a good break point. Like, let's let's look and like, you know, and it sounds like from what, what Lagerway said in that interview, like he might be thinking along those same lines, too, even if not specifically with regards to Ladero. Yeah. And I think I, at, at this point, I think it if if you can find a way to do it without kind of hamstringing yourself. Mm-hmm. So kind of the, the hard and the fast of it is Nicholas Sodero's contract is guaranteed next year. It's the final year of his deal for $3.5 million. Yeah. That's just, he's, and from a business perspective, turning down three and a half million dollars. He's not going to do it. Yeah. So like either the Sounders buy him out, which costs the team more money, or there's, you know, some sort of kind of, transfer fee involved which isn't going to be very high for a 33 year old coming on 34 you know these types of things are hard but that's why garth Lagerway is uh hopefully still <laughs> the gm of the sounders to do hard decisions yeah <laughs> um which that's also maybe another bombshell that could happen although it doesn't seem like it if he's you talking know- about these yeah, types of things. <laughs> yeah, the interview we've been referencing a lot. Uh, you know, he really did not come across like he was hedging his bets on not being here in yeah. the future. Like he was speaking with very definitive, like something we need to look at, something pressing forward. And um, you know, Seattle would be nuts to to not renew him, you know. And I, just, I get that yeah. he needs. <laughs> and I think I think it really kind of comes down to what Garth wants, and it yeah. sounds like he wants to be here, and so it sounds like he will be here, but you know these uh we only live in the moment and we can hope for the future (laughs) and uh, anyways kind of to end up the show uh as i alluded to at the beginning uh we play the the seattle sounders host the san jose earthquakes on sunday on decision day and no decisions going to be made that's crazy not a single Uh, decision will be made because uh san jose has hired their coach for next season they are going to finish i guess Technically, they could still not finish last in the Western Conference. DC mm-hmm. has clinched the golden spoon, or excuse me, the wooden spoon. Um, they're uh, hiring uh, Luchi Gonzalez, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. Um, so maybe they have some players playing for their jobs. But more importantly, I think uh, Stephen Fry's postgame comments from Sunday were very interesting that he basically said, uh, and I should have had the quote pulled up like I did with the Lodera quote, but um, I don't. So sorry about that. But he, he, he says something along the lines of um, people are playing for maybe not necessarily for their jobs, but there needs to be the effort there on Sunday against San Jose to put their foot right for next season. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really interesting given kind of to, to the name we basically just named every veteran on the show and how they didn't play well enough, including Stephen Fry this season. Yeah. It was not, it was not Fry's best year. It was not his worst. Uh, you yeah. know, 
we were like statistically this was kind of a pretty middle of the road year for him um still very good overall for a goalkeeper in, in major league soccer to be clear uh but yeah yeah he's he's right like recency bias is is a heck of a thing and uh you know you before those decisions get made like you don't want your last uh the last memory they have of you to be like just not having a, a good game or just not having your heart or your head in it and uh yeah it, it's technically meaningless um as far as the standings are concerned and i think as far as the fans are probably concerned as well like you know um but this is a good opportunity especially like if you place kids you know like to just once more say like no like i am a building block for this future like you can rely on me um yeah i don't know who's gonna play i don't know who's gonna show up out there that that's gonna be an interesting decision from from schmetzer and uh uh i guess it's really the only interesting thing about the game so (laughs) uh we'll see but uh yeah he, he's not wrong like that that stuff matters like do, do you show up and do it when we need you to even even if it seems like it, it's pointless yeah and i think i think it's really interesting from the standpoint of um i mean look we we've known all year that the sounders don't have a ton of roster flexibility they did mm-hmm. go all in on ccl all those things we've talked about we've that mm-hmm. horse is well and truly dead and beat but mm-hmm. There are seven, uh, seven first team players that appeared this season. And there's two more that haven't appeared this season that have options for next year. And I'm wondering if that's kind of a message being sent towards guys like with the Garth interview this week with kind of how things ended up this season, like, Hey, maybe, maybe things aren't as comfortable as it seems. And maybe there could be a lot more turnover depending on, um, several things but yeah there's a lot up in the air about next year too like you know we're now we're hearing rumors about an extra dp um this apple tv money (laughs) i don't really know what that (laughs) all is uh but you know like certainly i i I assume garth has a much bigger uh, a much better handle on that situation than than we do um i would hope so yeah but it's um yeah like yeah there's a lot of guys that i'm looking at right now on this list where i'm thinking like you haven't done that much to tell me that like, you're going to stay and like, this is your last chance and it still might not be enough, but this might be your last chance. Yeah. And, and obviously uh, you can't learn so much from one game, mm-hmm. especially one that's effectively as meaningless as a preseason game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think like you, you want to see, especially it being the last home game of the season, you want, you want to see something from that, yeah right yeah i mean that yeah absolutely like you this is your job and <laughs> i think in a season where you have seen so many mental lapses i think just kind of throwing it in for this last game is is not going to be a smart move for anybody that's on that bubble right now it, uh, especially against the san jose earthquakes right which i <laughs> Uh, they haven't won in Seattle in a long time yeah. and typically, yeah, typically a team that uh, we take care of, but at the beginning of the year we didn't. And that's mm-hmm. kind of indicative of a lot of things. Um, is there anything like specifically from this game that you want to see? Like, are you, are you along the lines of like, Hey, start the kids, see what the kids can offer. Or do you want to see kind of like maybe the best, the best possible 11 and see what they can do one last time before the end of the season? Um, I mean, for me personally, like my mind's kind of made up on most of these things. And I, I think I'd like to see 
some of the bit part guys maybe get a, a bigger role. Like I really like to like I've really enjoyed watching like um, like Dabalair play lately. Um, you know, I'd like to see that Atencia Leva pivot again. Um, I want to see like 90 solid minutes from Chu. Like I want to see something like that would be things yeah. I'm looking out for. Um, you know, um, the result really doesn't matter. I mean, you, you want to win because it's the object and it's your job. And it, as fans, you know, it feels better, even if it's a meaningless win. Like I, I'd still take a win over a loss any day. Um, but yeah, I, I think if I were in Spencer's shoes right now, I would be looking to just say, all right, like, let's see these kids. Like, and also that can be a spur on to, you know, some of your veteran players, if they see some of these kids coming in and they're doing your job better than you've done it like that, that sends a message too, in its own way. Yeah. And it'll be maybe one of the most interesting lineups we've ever seen yeah. in the Sounders because, uh, or it'll just be what it was against Cincy. We'll, we'll, yeah. We'll yeah. And I guess that's true. I guess yeah. we, we have been in, in Toronto earlier this year. Yeah. Um, you know, or yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not like Brian Spencer hates rotating his team and you yeah. know, he's anti, he's anti children or anything, but um, the man gave Obed Vargas a debut for crying yeah. out loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, I don't think I have a whole lot uh, left to say other than uh, thanks for, you know, being on the show. Thanks yeah. for dealing with uh, a co-host disappearing which I've, I don't think I've ever had to deal with before. So, Oh, where'd he go? No, uh, <laughs> that's fine. Thank you for having me uh, anytime, man. I'm always happy to come talk to you. You know that. Yeah. Uh, so the Sounders have one remaining game left. It uh, <laughs> technically doesn't mean anything. And uh, I'm really excited to watch that because I am a total sicko and um, uh, don't, uh, don't have anything else going on. So basically that's it. That's so it. I, I, I do want to say thanks to Ian, of course, for coming on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know where Jeremiah went. I hope he's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm obviously Mark Kastner and this has been the center of Heart podcast. <laughs>